Welcome to Refresh, a podcast designed to revive, recharge, and renew your faith and give you the tools to follow Jesus. Refresh comes to you from the Salvation Army in Gwinnett County, Georgia. We meet in person every Sunday at 1030 a.m. or online on Facebook and YouTube at Sal Army Gwinnett. We are excited that you have joined us this week and pray that God will bring his word to life. And now for our speaker. Victory! This was the, the tone in the air. This was the, the excitement that was being felt. In fact, they were all screaming victorious in the air. On the, it was kind of how they were all approaching back when they returned from the battle after Abram had saved his nephew Lot from captivity in Genesis chapter 14. Now the battle was brutal, this particular one. It was, uh, it was a tough one. Abram was not even a nation. He's just a tribe and wandering around in the desert. But he wasn't going to let his own family fall victim to a king's pursuit for power. It wasn't long before this moment, actually, before Lot had to be rescued, that Lot and Abram decided to part ways, that they had decided that they had, they had a big enough tribe on their own that they should start their own, and they would go a separate way. Lot went toward Sodom. They decided that was a good place to plant down. And Abram, he went toward Canaan. And so they lived. Now, while they were apart... Their stories couldn't have been more different. Lot was becoming more of the world. His uncle was a moral compass for him when they were together. Helped him, reminded him of the voice that called him into the desert. And without Abram, Lot just started to blend in and kind of look like everyone else. And it was during this time when he was living in Sodom, that the nine kingdoms that were in existence then decided to go to battle over some land and some power. Five kings aligned, another four aligned, and they went to war. And when word traveled that Lot and his family was in the middle of a kingdom battle, Abram took 300 of his men, and they went and saved not only Lot and his family, but saved all of their servants, all of their possessions, everything was saved by merely 300 men. Abram had defeated the four kingdoms. Now on his way back, of course, this is a big deal. Beating, I, I, he's not even a nation. He's not a king himself. He's just, a, he's Father Abraham. He just needed, his nephew was in trouble. I need to do something about it. And so he went and saved and rescued him. Now, on the way back, you better believe victory was the taste on his tongue. Oh, yes. And so he went to go and we wanted to meet with the remaining five kings to kind of show that their battle has been won for them. And while he was traveling back, Abram decided he was, he was passing a, this kind of desert city, not really familiar to him, not one that he's seen before, but he had to pass through it to get to where the other kings were. And when he was passing by this random desert city, there was a man outside of it waiting for him, for Abram. 
And when they approached the city, the man came out and presented Abram with bread and wine, a sign of hospitality and of peace. Now, because Abram was traveling in an area not known to him, you had to believe, you've got to be a little skeptical. What's, who is this man? Who are you? And as they're starting to question one another, the, the man, the mystery man, speaks up and says, I am Melchizedek, the king of Salom, the priest of El Elyon. A king and a priest, one and the same person of the city of Salam? Abram could not believe what he was hearing. He couldn't believe the words that were literally coming out of this man's mouth. And the reason why is because everything he said, every word that he spoke was in Hebrew. This is not a language that was spoken common. In fact, it was very uncommon outside of his own tribe to hear this language. He's speaking Hebrew. And so he leans in just a little bit more because he knew every single word he said and what it translated to. And he was staring right here outside of this random city at this man. And he knew that this man, his name meant righteous one. And that he was the king of the city of peace. And he was the priest of the Most High God. And even though Abram had never met him before, had never seen this man before, he knew immediately the one who had sent him. And the priest says to Abram on that day, coming back from battle, he says, blessed be Abram by the God Most High, creator of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who delivered your enemies into your hands. Abram knew that he was in the presence of a holy man who knows the same God that he knows. This is something that has not happened to Abram yet. Abram, was, he so far has been obedient when he first heard the voice of God. He left everything he knew and he followed him into the desert. And the journey has been lonely been doubtful at times, and yes, even fearful. Did I make the right decision? Did I, should I have stayed? Is my family in jeopardy because of my decision? And here, now, right before him, was the priest of the one who called him into the desert. The king of the city of Shalom, a city that will be given a different name in Joshua chapter 10. That city will no longer be a random city in the desert will no longer be just a small pass-through town. It will be given the name Jerusalem. And without hesitation, Abram gave Melchizedek that moment, a tenth of everything he had. He took all of his belongings, all of his possessions, and in that moment gave him a tenth of everything. And this, here in Genesis, is the very first record in Scripture of a tithe ever being given. There was no command for it. There was no precedence of it. It was simply a man who recognized that the God who called him into the desert was indeed the Most High God. 
and that this man here was his priest. And hallelujah, for he is the one true God. And Abram, from that moment, without hesitation, said, I'll follow you wherever you lead. And Abram did just that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to read your word, your scripture, Lord. God, we just want to pray now for clarity and understanding that when we, when we dive in, when we see the words in the scripture on, on these pages, that we don't walk out confused, but we walk out with a sense of direction, a sense of obedience, Lord. God, I pray for my words, or let they be only truth, only the gospel. The Father, if I say anything incorrectly, if I say something that is not truth, then correct me, Father. Thank God I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Wow. We start here in our message this morning at the very first book of the Bible, in Genesis. But the very first tie that had ever taken place, known to man. And so we go from the very first book with the very first tithe, and actually we jump now to the very last book in the Old Testament, to Malachi. You see, the promise that God gave Abram has indeed come true. He told Abram that your descendants will be as numerous as the stars in the sky. And now we can see that the truth has come. You see, since this moment, since Abram, since the moment with Malachi, Israel has become a nation. And as already reviewed in Malachi already, Jerusalem is crumbling to the ground. That same city where Abram had the experience with the priest is now falling to the ground, both physically and spiritually. The disputes that God has had already brought. He's already brought a few to their attention already in Malachi. These disputes so far have really just been about their spiritual condition. But chapter 3, however, the, is a little different. He brings up something just a little bit more kind of on the ground, if you will. He is questioning the nation of Israel on the way that they, the nation, are taking care of their priest. He's questioning the nation on the way they're taking care of their priests. Now, this is interesting to me. No, not because I'm a, a priest of some sort. That's not why. But it, what's interesting to me is that the last two disputes, literally, both of them, have been directly and strictly against the priests themselves, the way they have been handling their responsibilities. But here now, he is, he is now having issue with the nation on the way they're taking care of the priest. And why do I bring this up? Because when I researched, when I read, when I looked at all of this, I have to believe because God's discipline is always rooted in love. It always is. He was disple very displeased with the character of his priest, very much so. But he was equally displeased with the way that Israel was taking care of them. And how exactly were they not taking care of the priests? What were they not doing to these guys? Or what were they doing to these guys? Either way. Well, the scripture says 
They weren't tithing properly. This was the issue that God was bringing before them. And so since, like I said this last time, that Abram and Melchizedek met, Israel has indeed become a nation, a nation with laws. In fact, the law of Moses is what runs this, this nation. And the law of Moses had very strict rules on tithing. And what should be done exactly with those tithes? It spells it all out. You see, tithing at this time was based on a seven-year rotation. Each year, the tithes were to be used for different things. The tithes would be usually in various forms of grain, wheat, bread, food, all, you know, all kinds of different products and fruits and this and that. All of these tithes would then be placed in a storehouse. That's what it was called, a storehouse, which was the treasury room in the sanctuary. So now we're giving your tithe. The priest put it in a storehouse, and it's there in the sanctuary, a storage closet, essentially. You know, it's where they're sticking it in there, and they're putting it there in the temple. They're keeping it there so that way they can pull from it throughout the weeks and months to come. Now, this is where the tribe of Levi, or better known as the priest, would survive from. This is how they lived. They literally had to eat from this. Because according to that same law, the law of Moses, they, the tribe of the priest, were not allowed to work. They were forbidden. 100% of their time and devotion was to be at the temple upholding the law at all times. So therefore, they were to survive from the tithes that came in. This is how they, how they lived. And here in chapter 3, God is displeased. He's not happy with how the nation has been tithing. And it wasn't that they weren't necessarily tithing. It wasn't that he was angry that they were not, not, not physically tithing. It was how they were tithing how they were bringing their fruit, how they were bringing their tithe to the storehouse. They were actually, according to Scripture, were only given, you see, the law of Moses was strict on the 10th percent, that this was what you gave. But they were only giving, according to Scripture, close to 2 to 3 percent to the temple. That they were not giving their full tithe. Only a very small portion of their tithe was going to the temple. And then, in addition to that, they were giving them the second fruits. They were keeping all of the good stuff for themselves. And then they were giving what was left over then to the temple, giving it to them. So God, really essentially what is happening here in this moment is that we have a system that's in disarray. Is that we have a temple here, a, a system of priests who are depending upon the nation to provide for them so they could keep the nation aligned with God. But that same nation is not taking care of them. Is there a correlation between why they were, the priests were, were disobeying the law? And the, I don't know if this is something that goes back and forth. But what we do know is that in this moment in Malachi is that there was complete disarray for the law of Moses. And that no one was upholding it. Not either side, the priests or the nation. And so God takes to rebuking Israel. He's tired of it. He's rebuking Israel. And he's telling them to return back to him. Come back to me, he's telling them. And they simply reply, the nation, how are we to return? 
How? How are we to return? In other words, this is what he's saying, that God is telling them to repent. To repent. I know what you're doing. Repent. And the nation is responding with why? For what? What are we repenting for? I don't understand. Why are you wanting us to turn back to you? We're waiting for you to come to us. Why? And so then again, he, he, God replies immediately. Why? Because you're robbing me. He says this in scripture. You're robbing me. Now still confused, the nation responds with how. How are we robbing you? I don't under, How are we robbing you? How are we robbing you, God, the creator of the universe? You are the God of everything. How can man rob you, the scripture says? How can we rob you? And right immediately, God responds. And he responds in chapter 3 by saying that you are robbing me in tithes and offering. You are under a curse, you whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out to so much blessing that there will be not enough room to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, he says. And the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it's ripe. Then... Then, all the nations will call you blessed, and yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. Friends, I'm telling you that our God, the one that you and I worship, that we come here to lift our voice to, to expect a meeting with on Sunday morning, that our God is the only guy that I know that is so concerned for his people, his priest, his kingdom, that robbing him is actually robbing his people. This is the God we serve. God isn't upset that he isn't getting more. I want more. No, 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 give me more. I want better. That's not what God is doing. He is actually upset that his people won't have what they need, won't have the provision so that they can stay true to him. And God is still this way today. He's still this way today. Our tithe, the one we give today, isn't designed or meant to be a hand-delivered note to God. I have to warn you that I do not take your tithes and walk it to heaven. I don't put it in an envelope and say, here, Lord, from the church. Smiley face. Yeah. This is not what I do with it. But instead, that our tithe is to be used, according to scripture, to feed the poor, to take care of those working at the temple, to take care of the sanctuary, and so on and so on. God is a generous God. A generous God. We tithe to God. He blesses it. Then he gives it back. He doesn't keep it. He gives it back. That's what he does. 
Tithing has never been, ever been, since the very beginning, since the very first tithe, has never been about the physical item we're giving. Never been about, about the grain or the animals or the food or the money. It's never been about that. Tithing from the very beginning of time has always and still remains to be a matter of the heart, a matter of obedience to him. That the ultimate sign, and I've learned this in my own personal spiritual journey, that the ultimate sign that you have decided to follow God is by your tithe. That you are no longer on the sidelines. That you are actively engaged in the kingdom of God. And this is why I have to believe when reading and studying that, that, that God considers us robbers when we don't tithe. Because we are robbing from the kingdom itself. And this is basically what I've read. This is like God saying, I dare you to give your full tithe and see what happens. Because you won't have enough places to store it. And so here now in chapter 3, got to love Malachi. He, he goes to the next dispute. He tells them at the beginning of chapter 3, he says, Israel, I'm weary of you. He's telling them, I'm tired of you. That God, the God, our God is generous, but he's telling them, I'm, I'm weary. I'm tired. Because he has seen the nation evolve from the moment calling Abram to what it looks like now. This is what it looks like now. His people are on repeat. They do the same thing over and over, and they never seem to change throughout all of the scriptures. And even when God tells them, when God verbally shares with them that I am weary of you, I mean, that's a wake-up call to me, that you're weary of me, I'm, you're tired of me. <laughs> oh, but he say, Israel, I'm, you're my chosen people, and I'm weary of you. You're lucky I love you. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm weary of you. And then Israel responds back. I don't know if this is either with arrogance or ignorance. I don't know. But they respond back with, how are you weary of us? How have we wearied you, O Lord? We're weary. We're weary. And God tells them, because you think I'm an absent God. This is why. You think that I'm an absent God, that I am pleased with those that do evil, that because I haven't sent a lightning bolt from heaven, that I can't see what you're doing, that you have even questioned among yourselves within the nation, with the priest, that you have questioned, where is this so-called God of justice? We're weary of him. And so now, God in the very next few verses begins to prepare Israel. You see now the disputes are kind of winding down just a little bit. He's beginning to prepare Israel for something that's about to come. Something that's on its way. For something that is going to change forever the relationship between God and Israel. 
between God and the entire world, and between, yes, even the way they see God himself. Something is coming. And it would appear that right here in Malachi, because we're witnessing this, at least I did when I was reading and studying, that I was witnessing this come to life, that it would appear it's time to tell Israel what the God of the universe has been planning since the beginning of time. And so he tells them in Malachi chapter 3 that I am sending a messenger who will prepare the way before me. In other words, here in Malachi, he's telling them, I'm sending a Malachi. Yeah, yeah, we know, Lord. We know you see, we're, literally we're looking at him. Malachi is telling us all this stuff. We're, we're hearing, no, 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 no. There will be another Malachi that will prepare the way for me. Then the Lord that you think is absent, the one that you think can't see, can't hear, the one that you think is okay with the way that you're acting, will come to his temple. And there, in that moment, you will finally see the messenger. He would be like Melchizedek, the priest of your forefather that Abram saw, the one that you have all been waiting for. But pay attention. Pay attention. Because God just told them that the Messiah is coming soon. He's coming. So God this is, if you remember, at the beginning of Malachi, their dispute with God was, this so-called Messiah hasn't arrived. We've given up on him. We've given up on you. And now at the end of Malachi, in the chapter 3, he's telling them, he's coming. You're not hearing it from a prophet, you're hearing it from me. He's coming. He's coming, and there will be one that will prepare the way. But now... Now that he's shared that with the nation, it's his turn to ask the questions. His turn to say, are you ready? And God tells them in Malachi that he is coming, but who of any of you in this nation, who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? Yes, the long-awaited Messiah is coming, the very thing that you have criticized me, your God for, will be fulfilled. However, how many of you will last when he arrives? This is what he's asking them. How many of you will last when he arrives? It says here, but who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness. And the offerings of Judah will and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord. As in the days gone by, as in the former years. So I, I will come to put you on trial, Israel. I will be quick to testify against sorcerers, 
adulterers and perjurers, against those who defraud laborers of their wages, who oppress the widows and the fatherless, and deprive the foreigners among you of justice, and who do not fear me, says the Lord. How many of you will last, is what God is asking. You want the Messiah to come. You want him to show up. You've been criticizing me about it. You want him to come. Good. This is what it's going to look like for you. You think that the Messiah will be sent to save you from the other nations. He is going to be sent to save you from the nation that you have built yourself. He will save you from oppression. Not from the hands of the world, but from the hands of Satan. Quit looking outward for the Messiah and start looking inward. He will purify and remove all imperfections. But he will be perfect. He will clean everything that is dirty. But he will be spotless. And he says to the priests that are corrupt, the ones who say they long for the Messiah, but have enjoyed the pleasures of the world, he will come, the scripture says, he will come and purify the entire tribe of Levi. How many of you will last, he asked. You bring fault to me for not sending him. But be ready when I do. How many of you, Israel, will last? But church, I'm going to tell you now, as we've just gone through Malachi chapter 3, that it's not by accident, not at all by accident, as I spent the time and for whatever reason, this caught my attention. So I, I, I kind of dug in a little bit around it, and I wanted to, to see why that was mentioned. But it's not by accident that in verse 3 of this chapter, that the refiner that is mentioned, the Messiah, the refiner, that he is in the sitting position. It says that he will be sitting like a refiner. I don't know why, that just captivated me. Why? Why is he sitting? Yeah, I thought, you know, we're going to need someone to go take, take care of business. You know? But it has to be that this is because the one, the one who does the actual refinery by sitting means he's going to do it himself. He's not delegating. He's not giving it to someone else. But he's taking this impure, imperfected thing. He's going to take his time. He's not in a rush. He's going to sit down. Let's take a look at this thing. We're going to have to put it under some fire, though. Did you see when it's, when, it's, when it's all just cold and lumped together, you can't really do anything with it. You're going to have to put a little bit of fire to it so that way it melts. And then the refiner could go and start removing the imperfections. He wants to personally oversee the purification process. Get that out. Let's get that out. And that sitting posture shows that he's carefully working with the silver. Burning off, scraping away all of the imperfections. And that fascinated me because God just told them that the Messiah is coming and be ready. Because he's not going out to the other nations. He's starting in yours. 
He's starting with you. Bring your chest down just a little bit, O nation of Israel, and be ready. Because he's not coming like a knight on a steed. He's coming as a refiner. And he's going to go and start looking for imperfections. And and he's going to be burning them away. So instead of saying, Lord, send us a king. Send us... Lord, send us the fire. Send the fire so that we could burn off all the things that, that have just really separated us from you, O Lord. And the truth is that you and I, we have enough imperfections that need to be refined. And honestly, if he's looking at me, he's probably going to be sitting there for a while. He's got a lot of things to work out. So my question for you today is, where are you? That when we're looking here in in, in chapter 3, we see that God is very concerned about his people. Not just their spiritual condition. The whole first part of it was about their physical condition. Why people are hungry and you're denying them. And then he says that they're, they're also spiritually empty. And I'm coming for that too. I want you to be provided for, taken care of for. So maybe today as we're reflecting on this, on the, on the refiner, on the imperfections, and all the other stuff that's taking place, where are you? Maybe you haven't been tithing. And this isn't some gimmick. No, we're not taking an offering. Nothing like that. Just the truth. Maybe this is a thing that we need to work on. Maybe, maybe it's something else. Maybe you have been denying someone. Whatever it is, I don't know. But this is the opportunity. This is the chance here to reach out to him. Burn it off. Get rid of it. There's no better time than the present. But just to go and say, Lord, I'm coming to you. Burn it away. Send the fire. Send the fire. It's not by accident. This is not by accident that God is preparing them for the Messiah. Because you and I, 2,000 years later, may know that He's coming again. He's not done. Just you and I have something that they didn't. That. That's coming. It's coming. But that's why. Well, Father, we just pray in this moment. We want to just say that really when we get an opportunity to read chapter 3, well, we get to see a God who's caring for his people physically but also Lord spiritually and we have really the luxury of seeing the Messiah come seeing the acts that he performed and did the sacrifice that he gave and the resurrection that could be undenied So today, we're standing here, 2021, 
still gathering because we believe in that same Messiah. We believe that as if we turn our hearts toward him, our minds, our desires, all these things to him, that he can still make us clean. He can still purify us. Lord, forgive us when we fall short. Forgive us when we are not being ambassadors of the cross. That God forgive us when sometimes we look like Israel and Malachi. You're patient with us. You're generous to us and you're kind to us. And we know that you love us. May we mirror that, be the image of that to this world. Lord, this is our prayer, and hear our voices today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to Refresh. Be sure to hit subscribe and like us on Facebook and YouTube to never miss an episode. If you liked what you heard, be sure to share it with your friends and family. We pray that you will be refreshed and ready to take on your week. See you next time. God bless.